join me in prayer. Dear Father, it is by grace that we can be here, that we can stand. We give you thanks on this 4th of July weekend for the great many freedoms that this country affords us. That we can be here to worship you freely without fear of condemnation, assault, or terror. I know I take it for granted that I can walk in here in such freedom and peace. But thank you for the ultimate freedom that you've given us through Jesus, your son who died on the cross to take my sins, the sins of the world upon him, to bury them in death, to raise to new life, giving us freedom. May we not lose sight and vision that you are walking with us, you're walking before us. And though circumstances may seem dim and dark, you are moving us towards grace and freedom. Be with us today as we hear from your word. May our hearts be encouraged. May we look out for one another as a family of God here in Cupertino. We give you thanks for your great works and your love for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. The scripture reading comes from Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with, or I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's our scripture reading, and now I'd love to have Jerry come up and give us a word from the Lord. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Jerry. It's, I'm just delighted to be here this morning with all of you. Uh, I'm here to share a message today about discipleship through relationships. Now, this is the second of two messages on this very important foundational core value of PBCC. Last week, we heard how Jesus discipled his followers, um, how he taught them his way, how he shared life and modeled life with them. And we all, of course, want to be disciples of Jesus. We want to abide in him. We want to bear fruit for him. Last week, we also heard that it is our responsibility to be disciple-makers as well, that those who may be more mature in the faith can mentor others and guide them towards Christ. And that's the focus of our message this morning, of discipleship, disciple-making. Now, in the 30 years that I've been here at this church, um, I've been blessed to have been in several discipleship relationships with mentors who have pointed me towards Christ, who encouraged me to go into ministry and guided me and into leadership roles. It started when Carlene and I first joined the church, and uh, we were welcomed into a newly married home fellowship group by then uh, a former PBCC elder named Don Gruel. And under the guidance of Don and his wife Helen, Carlene and I were mentored. We were nurtured in our new marriage. 
And after a few years, Don and Helen launched us into PBCC Couples Fellowship. A second disciple in my life was uh, Brian Morgan. Now, one day, Brian sort of picked me out of a men's group, and he says, Jerry, have I got a vision for you? <laughs> you know, deer in headlights look and fear and trepidation in my heart. If, if you've ever heard Brian say that to you, you know how I felt. Well, as it turns out, Brian wanted me to host Sunday morning services with him. And then he also mentored me into teaching and then preaching opportunities. And that was part of the reasons why I'm here preaching to you this morning. Now, the third opportunity came some 21 years ago when I was uh, invited to join the Board of Elders. And that was a life-changing invitation indeed. As I served on the Elder Board for the next 20 years, uh, Brian Morgan, John Hanneman, and um, Bill Hyatt, and other godly men, they discipled me. They pointed me to Jesus, and I owe a great deal to these mentors in my life. Perhaps some of you are or are considering to become mentors and, and invest in the lives of another uh, believer. So how does one go about doing this to, to guide someone towards Christ? What are some of the qualities that are important? What steps are there to becoming a mentor? And are there any biblical examples that we can learn from? Well, it's with these questions in mind that I would like to invite you to journey with me as we look at the portrait of a, of a character in the Bible who, for me, epitomizes the qualities of being a mentor. You see, this person mentored one of the greatest theologians of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. And then he invested in Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And he further influenced deeply the um, Dr. Luke, who compiled the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. You see, working in the background, this person influenced and shaped each one of these three biblical authors who combined probably wrote more than half of the New Testament. So who was this disciple maker? He was Barnabas, also known as the son of encouragement. So today, we're going to take a look. You know, we'll walk through the portrait of this disciple maker. We're going to take vignettes of his life from the book of Acts. And then we're going to look at the man his ministry in church, his mentoring, his missionary journey, and even his mistakes. I like alliteration. It helps me remember. So as we go through these five M's, um, I want to draw out applications for each one of us, how we too can take on that role of a disciple mentor, how we can um, mentor somebody to conform to the image of of Christ. So let's start with the man and his ministry. The first place where Paul appears uh, in the Bible is in Acts chapter 4. Uh, Luke, the author of Acts, he re recounts the very earliest days of the early church in Jerusalem. Remember, the Holy Spirit came down during Pentecost. And then Peter 
preached his very first fiery sermon, and he converted 3,000 people in one day. That was an exciting time. So we begin with Acts chapter 4. So there was not a needy person among them, for as many were, were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought them the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Luke, the author of Acts, he recorded several uh, interesting facts. First of all, his name was Joseph. Go figure. Did you remember that? Uh, Joseph was a man of some means because he owned lands. And we also know that he was, he was very generous and compassionate, and he sold his field and for the benefit of the new early church in Jerusalem. Now, while his name was Joseph, the apostles and pretty much everybody in church called him by his nickname, Barnabas, which is Aramaic for son of consolation. Now, Luke helpfully translates that into Greek, which doesn't help me at all because it's still all Greek to me. But the Greek word there is uh, paraklesios, and it means encouragement and exhortation on the one hand, and also means comfort and consolation. Paraklesios. Has anybody ever heard that word? You may remember that when Sean, in his sermon series on the book of John, he taught us that Jesus called the Holy Spirit the paraclete. Not the parakeet, the paraclete. And that comes from the same root word. Because indeed, the Holy Spirit also is one who encourages and comforts and guides the lives of believers. So then Barnabas, the son of the paraclete, indeed does so every day. He encourages and, and, and exhorts everyone whom he meets. And this was so ingrained in his nature, his interactions of love for everyone it was so shown through, through his day, daily activity that his nickname, Barnabas, became his name for the rest of Scripture. So now let's look at another passage which tells us more about Barnabas, the man, and his ministry. And for that, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 11. Now in that chapter, we find that the gospel has been preached up north in Syria to a Gentile church in Antioch. So a, a budding Gentile church was starting to grow in Antioch. So we pick up here now. Verse 20. There were men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. These were the Greek-speaking Gentiles also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And then the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So from this we see that Barnabas must have been a man of, of maturity, of wisdom, and of discernment. 
and the church leaders in Jerusalem trusted his wisdom and his discernment. And so they sent him uh, on a ministry task to Antioch. And his task was to go and verify the, the doctrinal soundness of these new believers. He, he was sent there to, to check out the, the genuineness of this new fledgling church. So now the next two verses say uh, lots about what, who Barnabas was. Let's go to the next verse. So when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For, or because, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So we're going to look at his character first in verse 24. It says here, Barnabas was a good man. His goodness, I think, refers to his winsome, wholesome character. You know, he was kind. He was tolerant. He was a gentle man. He was good. And I believe this goodness, it just welled up from inside of him because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit dwells in a believer, he transforms the believer from the inside out. And the gifts of the, and the fruits of the Holy Spirit come pouring out and become evident. Do you remember the, the, the spiritual fruits? Let me see. Galatians 5, there are peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, goodness. Thank you. All of these, all of these um, spiritual Fruits come welling out. And that's what happened with Barnabas because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was also full of faith. He had faith in Jesus, his Lord, and he had faith in what the Holy Spirit can do in a person and through a person. And this faith and the Holy Spirit become very evident as, as he continued. So what did Barnabas do? What was his ministry in Antioch? Let's read. When he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. Barnabas saw the grace of God in these new believers. Now, I, I could imagine that a new believer might be a bit naive, maybe a little immature, not well taught, and needing spiritual nourishment. Yes, but Barnabas saw the seeds of the gospel implanted in these believers. He recognized what? the grace of God. And he wanted to fan these little embers of grace into flames on fire for the Lord. See, where others saw imperfection, where others may have seen immaturity, Barnabas saw grace. And this grace gave him great joy. He was glad. What a wonderful response to seeing grace in the new believer. And so what did he do? Well, much to his nickname's sake, he exhorted them. He exhorted, he encouraged them all and, and caused them to grow in faith. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, used his encouragement with wonderful results because what do we read? A great many people were added to the Lord. More people accepted Jesus. More came to faith. So this is what we learn about Barnabas' ministry and it's an important lesson for us. 
his ministry, he had the eyes of faith to recognize the grace of God in imperfect believers, and he encouraged them. He fanned to flame these embers of God's grace. And then more believers became disciples, and they had more faith. And so faith goes to encouragement, leads to more faith, and the cycle continues. That was Barnabas's ministry. And my friends, this could be our ministry as well. Not just somebody else's. This is us. Can you recognize the grace of God in the imperfect lives of believers that God has put into your path? Can you go and encourage these believers to cause them to grow, to fan to flames these embers of grace so that they become on fire for the Lord? Just imagine if all of us in this body took on that role We'd be disciples making disciples who are on fire who are making disciples who are on fire. That is a growing church. That is a vibrant church. And we want that for this church. Now, let's look at the third M. Let's look at Barnabas as a mentor and a disciple maker. And for this, we're going to turn back and go to Acts chapter 9. Now, in Acts 9... Uh, we receive the account of the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. And then he preached in Damascus, and the Jews rejected him. And Saul had to escape the city and go to Jerusalem. And so that's where we pick up the narrative in Acts chapter 9. Verse 26, And when he, this is Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he, that is Saul, had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So Saul had a reputation, if you could call it that. He was known as a zealous Pharisee. He was the henchman of the high priest, mercilessly persecuting all the believers throughout the city. So it was very natural for these leaders, these apostles, to be skeptical or even afraid of Saul. So who can take a risk and vouch for Saul? Who can look and recognize the grace of God in the life of an imperfect believer? Who can indeed look past the mistakes of the past and look forward into the potential of the future? Of course, Barnabas could, and he did. So he took a risk. He invested in a relationship with this former Pharisee. He took him under his wings. He brought him to the leaders and he basically staked his own reputation on the line and vouched for Saul. And what happened? Well, the church leaders, again, trusted in his wisdom and his discernment and accepted Saul. And that enabled Saul's ministry to flourish as he preached boldly the name of Jesus throughout the city of Jerusalem. And Barnabas took note. He saw what Saul was doing because this would not be the last time that he would 
be encouraging and supporting Saul's ministry. So this is the first step we see in disciple-making in Barnabas. First, with the eyes of faith, he recognized the grace of God in the imperfect believer, and you invest in a relationship. Invest in a relationship, that's a first step to this. Now, for the second step of mentorship, for that, we're going to turn to back to the chapter 11, where we just read, where um, Barnabas was sent to Antioch in order to check out the genuineness of that fledgling church. When Barnabas got there, yes, he recognized that the grace of God was there. He also recognized that he may need some help to teach these new believers. So whom can he turn for some help? We pick up in Acts 11, verse 20, 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So this is the second step of mentorship. Having invested in a relationship, Barnabas now started to train Saul train him. Together, they taught the believers there for a whole year. This was practical, side-by-side, -side, daily ministry of the gospel. Saul gave, sorry, Barnabas gave Saul first-hand teaching experience to these Gentiles and prepared him to eventually become the apostles to the Gentiles. What an opportunity, what fertile ground, not just for the believers to, to hear the message, but fertile ground to train Saul. Now, there were some other steps of training Saul, and I'll mention it briefly. After a whole year of training, the Barnabas took Saul, and they went on a, on a ministry trip, and they were to deliver a gift of famine relief to the believers in Judea. And so they did that. They went on a, on a trip, and then they brought back a disciple with them named John Mark. And this is recorded in Acts 11 and 12. So the second step of training someone by taking them on a ministry tour is also a very good way to grow a disciple. So here, then, we have the second step of men mentorship. And that is, you train someone side by side, day in and day out in ministry. This could be in teaching a Bible study. This could be going on a ministry trip. And then you come back and you give glory to God by setting the stage for someone else to use their spiritual gift. You are training that person. And we see this process worked out here at PBCC all the time. For the last 30 years, we've seen how John Hanneman would take his group to Yucatan and let them teach and build houses. And we see how Brian Morgan would take his discipleship group over to Romania and let them counsel and write poetry. And then we see how Sean, here now, he leads his group every year to Liberia. And there he set the stage for his, the disciples of Christ to be teaching, BBS, and other ministries.
So this is the second step of discipleship and mentoring. Now, for the third step of, the, of this mentoring process between Barnabas and Saul, we'll go to the missionary trip. The missionary trip occurred in about 46 AD from the city of Antioch. And we read in Acts 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting in Antioch, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, the Holy Spirit set apart Barnabas and Saul. They were to go to unreached people in Cyprus and Pamphylia and Galatia. Note here the order of the names. It's Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas first, Saul second. And this was very carefully recorded by Luke in previously in Acts 11, Acts 12, and now in 13. Barnabas first gives an indication that as the mentor, he was the leader at the beginning of this missionary journey. And then, while they were in Cyprus, their roles started to evolve and change. See, Barnabas and Saul and John Mark, they preached the gospel in Jewish synagogues all over the island. And then they ran into public opposition. They ran into a Jewish magician named Elimas, Elimas, who opposed them publicly. And what happened there? Well, Saul burst out, literally burst out with holy, the Holy Spirit. And he, he called Elimas out. He said, you are the son of devil. You are the enemy of all righteousness. You're full of villainy and you're full of deceit. Whoa, this was not the style of Barnabas, the gentle son of consolation. No, indeed, this was Saul on fire with the Holy Spirit. This was a turning point in that life of that apostle. Indeed, it was here in chapter 13 where Saul was first called Paul. And Luke, from this point on, calls him Paul for the remainder of the book. This was also a turning point for Barnabas as well. Because for the rest of this missionary journey, it wasn't Barnabas, but Paul who led, who gave the sermons, who performed the signs, who converted Gentiles. From this point on, Barnabas fades into the background. Right? By investing in Paul and helping support him as he blossomed into apostleship, Barnabas was willing to step back. And you note, from this point on, whenever Luke mentions both of them, it's going to be Paul and Barnabas, no longer Barnabas and Saul. So, having... Next slide, please. Thank you. And so, having started a relationship and then trained him and watched Paul blossom into his apostleship and then stepping back into his shadow, Barnabas forever secured for himself 
his secondary status in church history. And I love him for that. This is the mark of a humble, grace-filled mentor and disciple-maker. So these are the three steps of biblical mentorship. First, you invest in a relationship. Second, you train side-by-side ministry. You set the stage for that person to use spiritual gifts. And third, when that person is ready for leadership, be willing to step back humbly and disciple and support from the background. This was the biblical model shown by Barnabas for discipleship through relationships. So we've covered the first four M's, the man and his ministry, mentoring, and missionary trip. And by now, you're probably thinking, wow, this guy, Barnabas, he was just a perfect godly person, wasn't he? Well, actually, Barnabas was human, just like you and me. And he had flaws and weaknesses, and he made mistakes, just like you and me. So lest we idolize Barnabas, I want to finish, complete this portrait of him by giving you two examples of where he had made mistakes. The first example was an incident that happened after the missionary journey, and Luke actually doesn't mention it in the book of Acts, but we read about it in Paul's letter to the Galatians because a very serious disagreement occurred when the apostle Peter came up to Antioch to visit uh, this new church there. And that, for that, we'll go to Galatians chapter 2. When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I, this is Paul, the, the, the author of the letter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Peter and Barnabas, they started out fellowshipping and having, having supper every night with the Gentile believers. And that was great. But then, due to pressure from the circumcision, they withdrew. They refused table fellowship with the Gentiles. And Paul calls them out. They were hypocritical. They were in complete, out of line with what they themselves have preached. Because salvation doesn't come from keeping kosher or, or being ceremoniously clean or circumcision. These Jewish identity markers only serve to, to, to enslave a believer to the bondage of law. So Peter and Barnabas knew that. They knew that. They preached this every day. So why did Peter and Barnabas succumb? Why did they succumb to the pressure from circumcision rather than standing up for the truth of the gospel? Why? Because they're fallible. They had faults and flaws and they make mistakes. Reality, you know, reality has a, has a tendency to expose weaknesses like this 
right? Even in righteous people like Barnabas. Believers are sinners, and they can and go, will go astray. Christian life, it is, it's sort of like a bubble. There's the bubble of an ideal Christian life. And this bubble may sometimes be popped by the needle of reality. And this happens. And I just, I think it's so marvelous that the honesty of the Bible is so amazing that it portrays this accurately. That even people like Barnabas can sin and misstep. So, my friends, this is like our life, our Christian life and ministry. We have to face the reality of life too, right? Yes, certainly there are moments of exhilarating steps of faith that we take. And then there are those times, those humiliating times of sin and failure. And we have to face that. So what do we do? Well, in those mountaintop experiences, let us not just be arrogant or become complacent because we know that we're going to fall back and face a valley of stress and temptations to sin. So in those times, we pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Let us not fall into temptation. And actively then, we take up the whole armor of God, the armor of truth and righteousness and faith. And with that armor, we can dispel the flaming arrows which the evil one throws at us. We, with that whole armor of God, we can stand and stand firm. And that's the takeaway when there are these times in life when we fail. Let me look at a second misstep. And for this, um, this happened when Paul wanted to go on a second missionary journey back to the churches that they had planted in their first journey. And for that, we go to Acts chapter 15. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So here's the situation. Paul saw Mark as a deserter. He was unfaithful. He was not worthy to be taken and gone to another missionary journey. Barnabas, on the other hand, what did he see? He recognized the grace of God in the imperfect believer and he wanted to, to take and invest in John Mark. He wanted to give him a second chance. He, this is completely in line with Barnabas's character and his spiritual gift, isn't it? So what happened in verse 39? Next verse. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed. This disagreement was so sharp that it tore apart a decades-long friendship. This mentor and this disciple, this colleague and co-laborer, these godly followers of Jesus who owed so much to each other, they split. So who was right and who was wrong? Luke didn't take any sides, and nor should we. We can't save anyone is to blame at all. 
All we can see is that two godly believers had a very tough disagreement. And a painful rupture of their partnership occurred, and they went their separate ways. And Barnabas was never again mentioned in the book of Acts. Wow. Disagreements happen, my friends, even among godly believers. It happened back then. It happens today. It even happens in this church. We know that for the past three years during the pandemic, we've had our share of contentious issues over which there were very sharp disagreements and differing opinions. But I believe that disagreements and differing opinions are not in and of themselves bad. What could be bad is the rancor and the, the bitterness and the resentment that might poison or even split a relationship. That must not happen. As Eugene preached last month, we are a church of a great diversity. And along with this gift of diversity will come differing opinions and disagreements. So how do we deal with those differing opinions and disagreements? Well, we love one another. We are disciples of Jesus. And just as God has loved us, we also are to love one another. We may be people who don't belong together, but we're learning to belong together because we are a family of God. And so, let us love one another. And by this, all people will know that we are his disciples because we have love for one another. Amen? Now, a second incident occurred, and uh, this happened... No, I think I've already done that. We've covered a lot today, I know. Let's go to a summary. Today, in Through the Life of Barnabas, we've covered a lot. We, we talked about the man and his ministry, how with the eyes of faith, we recognize the grace of God, and then we should encourage each other, and that's everyone's ministry. We looked at the mentor on a missionary trip, and we saw this three steps of being a mentor. You invest in a relationship, you train and set the stage for spiritual gifts, and then you step back when it's appropriate and support in the background. We even learn from the mistakes that we have to be strong, hold fast to that armor of God. And in times of disagreement, we are to love one another and show the world that we are Jesus' disciples. Now, not many of us can be uh, saying or presume that we are training the next apostle or that we're mentoring someone who's going to write another gospel. No, but we are to be, as best as we can, disciple makers. We do have that opportunity every day to influence others, to conform to the image of Christ. We can, and indeed we should, every day be exercising our spiritual gifts and exhorting others to exercise their spiritual gifts. 
and together we can guide each other to grow in our spiritual walk, to deepen our faith for the Lord. And to the degree that we can do that, my friends, to the degree that we can guide each other and point each other towards Christ, we are disciple makers. We are mentoring each other. So, for now I just want to close us with some exhortations. I encourage you, with the eyes of faith, to look for God's grace in the lives of the imperfect brother and sister that God has placed in your life. And when you see that, encourage each other by edifying, by building up, by exhorting. I encourage you to invest in relationships and in doing so, begin to train one another to use spiritual gift, setting the stage for others to exercise and watch them blossom. And when they're ready for their leadership role, be willing to step back humbly, step back, and then continue to support them in the background with prayer, with help, support, and encouragement. These are the applications that I hope you can take home with you today. And I hope that you can prayerfully consider your role in each one of this. And if you're interested in being in a mentoring relationship, whether as a mentor or as a mentee, I encourage you to go and talk to Eugene or Sean or any one of the church leaders, and we would be, we would be glad to make that happen. So now I'm going to invite the worship team to come and close us in a final song. I do hope that our portrait of this disciple maker has inspired and encourages us all to be Barnabases in this body. Let us point each other towards Christ and let us make disciples of each other. Amen. And I'm going to close us with an exhortation that I modeled on 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Did you see that? 2 Timothy 2.2? 2, 2. That's too good to pass up. So here are these words. You just got that, Frank. I forgot what it was. <laughs> My friends, these things which you have heard from me today in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful disciples who will they then be able to disciple others as well. So go, encourage one another, make disciples of all nations, and the Lord will be with you, yea, until the end of the age. Have a blessed Sunday and a wonderful week, and see ya. Amen. Amen.